Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to the show, guys. The show that almost wasn't. I'm still having some major computer issues here in the studio. I actually purchased a replacement that showed up to be a complete dud. The computer didn't work at all, so that set me back several days. So I've now purchased a even newer model. Hopefully this time's a charm. Unfortunately, it doesn't arrive until tomorrow. So here I am, recording on my rickety laptop. Hopefully, this pans out. Now due to the circumstances tonight, will be a bit of a grab bag episode. So without further hesitation, I think we should get started. Our first call of the evening comes to us from, I believe they call it the Beehive State. The following is Alexander's call from Utah. Hey, Eric. My name is Alexander. I'm calling from Utah. So this happened um, over a space of some amount of time, over a few months. This is a couple of years ago. I was the manager of a movie theater. We were up in the mountains, right? One day, um, I was there closing by myself with another manager, and we heard a big crash and went out and in one of the storerooms everything had fallen off the shelves which just could have been an earthquake that's no big deal but it was kind of a hint of what happened later so the way that this was set up is that when you went up the stairs to go into the booth of this movie theater you could look to your left and if you looked left you could see all the way down the hallway into that storeroom where everything fell off And right next to that storeroom was one of the projectors. This was an old projector and it was kind of finicky. It tended to have issues most days. Was the reason why I didn't think too much of it when I was opening one Sunday. I opened every Sunday morning um, by myself. It was not very busy early in the morning on Sundays for uh, obvious reasons in Utah. And so one day I went upstairs and I took a look to my left and I saw that projector, and each projector has a tail light on it. It's this light that sits on the back of the projector that is different colors. So if it's green, that means the projector's good. If it's blue, it means that they need to do routine maintenance on it. And if it's red, that means there's a problem with the projector and it's not going to work. And of course, red tail lights, when you're a manager, give you like a heart attack because it means you have to cancel a show if you can't fix it. And there's a ton of paperwork and people get mad at you and it's, it's a mess. So the last thing I wanted to see 
when I walked up that stairs and turned left is to see right before my eyes the taillight of that projector turn from green to start blinking red, like I watched it change. So I, I started to go down there to see what the problem was, and it was dark up in the booth. It's always dark. You don't want light leaking out into the theaters. But there are some lights up there. Um, so I started walking down to the projector and then realized that I wouldn't be able to see anything even if I went down there without my phone flashlight. So I went and turned on the lights um, in that booth. So I turned on the lights and turned around. I saw the outline of a person standing in the doorway to that far storeroom. Um, it was like kind of fuzzy. And I took a step back and it seemed to almost follow me. Like I took a step back and it moved forward a little bit as though it was like keeping the exact distance between me and it. And it, it spooks me out. And so I, I kind of backed up and I, I hid in the office because I'm a coward, right? I'm not going to run up at a, a ghost or something standing in the storeroom. So I went back and hid in the office for a little bit to start up the save. And I poked my head back out about five minutes before I needed to go down and unlock the doors to let the next person in. And the lights on the projector had turned back to green, so it was just fine. The, the thing was gone, whatever it was. I didn't see the outline of the person anymore. And normally I would have just brushed that off as well, you know, with the earlier story about the things falling off in that storeroom. It could just been an earthquake. This could just been a trick of the lights. Except that uh, I was set to transfer to a new location in a couple months. And so every Sunday before I transferred, I would walk up those stairs and take a look to the left. And every time I did, I would watch that tail light turn from green to red. It would wait for me to look at it and then it would turn and then every time I turn on those lights and I see somebody standing in that far storeroom and then it would go away as soon as I went in the office every time I would step back when I was looking at it every time I backed up it was following me but every time I went towards it it would also get a little bit closer so I don't know if that was like a lure or something like it it wanted me to go down there for whatever reason to check out that projector but that happened every single Sunday and let me tell you that theater was pretty creepy it wasn't just me that thought that every single time an employee would go up there for their break we had the employees the floor staff would take their break up in that booth they would sit with their backs to the wall so they could look down that hallway because I had multiple of them tell me that uh they didn't like sitting with their back to that hallway, that they felt like somebody was watching them, which it's a long, kind of dimly lit hallway, so I'm not sure I blame them. But on the other hand, after this happened, I was more and more sympathetic to that fact. I would almost never put my back to that storm whenever I was up there, and uh, it felt creepier than almost everywhere else I've been. Now I'm kind of glad that I don't work there anymore. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you, Alexander. I know that you mentioned that the theater was in a mountain town. Currently living in one of those myself, I can tell you that it has a bit of a magical atmosphere at times. And sometimes, it's got a downright creepy atmosphere. So I don't know if that plays a factor in the activity that was taking place in your particular theater. But it certainly wouldn't hurt. Thank you again, Alexander, for taking the time to share your call. 
Our next clip of the evening takes us to the Great Lakes. The following is John's call in the state of Minnesota. Hey there, Derek. It's John Cold from Minnesota. Since it's cold here, it seems like a fitting last name. Figured it's a good time to share one of my UFO encounters with you and the Amongsters. So this one, uh, this is actually my second encounter, but it's a, a quick one and it's kind of entertaining as the other ones aren't as kind of funny as this one is uh we'll go back to i believe it was around 1999 and it was before my daughter was born we had just moved into a new apartment my soon-to-be wife at the time uh no longer is as of as of now but um anyway we moved into an apartment in in duluth right on overlooking Lake Superior and it just it was kind of an apartment complex and we were on the very end and a friend of mine and myself went out to have a cigarette and uh, we, as we were walking out the door I just kind of walked straight out and he kind of walked behind me and to the left of me and this was probably about it wasn't super late. It was probably like nine, ten o'clock at night. We were just standing there, you know, having a cigarette, BSing, and it wasn't um, a cloudy night or anything. It was a clear, clear evening, clear night. Out of the corner of my eye, I, I wasn't facing it, but I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I turned to catch a few seconds of it, and what I saw. It was actually like a large, almost like, I guess, for what I saw, what I could compare it to would be like a tall building on its side, but like dark and moving extremely fast right above the tree line. To the right of me, as you come out our apartment, there's a small like driveway and then a patch of trees. That's probably about 50 feet or less. It's not really thick. You can see the road and cars driving on the other side of it through the trees. And But this was above the tree line, and it was moving so fast, and there were some red flashing lights on it. And I just caught a, a glimpse of it, but it caught me off guard, and I turned to see if my friend saw it, and I looked at his face, and he had his mouth open and the cigarette fell out. So I'm guessing I, he saw it. So he looked at me and he's like, what the F was that? And I said, I don't know. That was pretty crazy. Whatever it was, was moving pretty fast and it was large. I guess it was a UFO. And he's like, we have to tell somebody. So he goes running in our apartment, <laughs> grabs the phone book, just whips it open. He's like, he looks at me, he's like, who do I call? Who do I call? I'm like, I don't think you're going to find him in the yellow pages, but he tried. So he's looking through the yellow pages and he just finds, I don't know what he looked up, but he found a number. He's like, I think this is it. So he calls the number and he's like, uh, I just need to know, is this the number I called to report like a UFO or something in the sky that's unusual? 
and then there's some silence on the other end. Then he hangs up. He's like, I guess I called the fire department and somebody was sleeping. I feel like kind of an ass. So then he looks at me and he's like, well, what do we do about it? And I just looked at him like, I don't know. I don't think there is anything we can do about it. It was, you know, before the the millennium, the new millennium. So the internet was still kind of new. I didn't know anything about like MUFON or anything like that. So I just told them like, we just did something. We just have to acknowledge we saw and, you know, live with it. So I don't know if anybody out there has encountered this type of phenomenon or uh, like a UFO that's like, like I said, the best I can describe it is just like, like a building without windows on its side, just totally dark with some red flashing lights on it. I mean, if I had to estimate, I would say it was probably a couple hundred feet long, maybe like. 50 feet from bottom to top in width um and it was silent that's another thing i didn't really mention it made zero noise i mean like as it sped by we didn't hear a sound at all so yeah that was uh an experience that i had and again this was right up by lake superior i know that there's a lot of uh things that go on around lake superior and it's actually said to be one of uh uh, the port a porthole is supposedly in Lake Superior that UFOs and things used to get in and out of dimensions. I know that's I've read that in a few places that Lake Superior is area in it where they travel through or something like that. But anyway, keep up the great work and I will talk to you soon. Thank you, John. Now it's funny when I was a child I often thought the same thing. Who do you report something like this to? And when I was super young, I thought, obviously the police handle something like this. But as you grow older, you realize a lot of times the police are victims of stuff like this. And then, of course, the NBC series Unsolved Mysteries premiered in the late 80s. And they had a toll-free telephone number that I actually modeled our toll-free number after. And when I was a kid, I thought it was very important that I memorized that number, just in case I saw a gray alien or one of these murderers that you see traveling across the country. So how many of you also still remember that phone number? I can still hear Robert Stack saying it right now. 1-800-876-5353. If you wish, you need not leave your name. Either way, I love the story, and I honestly couldn't tell you what that is. But as we've learned on this show, UFOs come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. Thank you again, John, for sharing your call. Now our next tale of the evening takes place in San Diego, California, but submitted by Stuart in Florida. Hey, this is Stuart. I don't think I've called in since... Maybe it was season one, actually. Called in about seeing a weird guy at a cemetery in South Carolina. But uh, I was talking to my dad uh, a couple weeks ago, and I asked him if he had ever experienced anything paranormal. And he told me this story that happened when he was in the Navy station out in San Diego 
I'll do my best to get as many of the details as I can remember. Basically, my dad was stationed out in San Diego from around uh, 1990 to about 1997. And my dad said this happened in uh, 91. So I would have been about three years old. I don't know anything about the man that's involved in the story or anything like that, so I'm not going to try to explain to who he was or anything. But at the time, my parents lived in some really run-down apartments in the national city called Bluebell Apartments. Uh, anybody who has lived anywhere around San Diego probably knows about national city. It's not a great area. And I, even at the time, the Bluebell Apartments were very run-down, and they were... Uh, Unfortunately, there was a lot of crime in the area. But there was a man who lived in an actual house across the street from the Bell Apartments. And my mom had known the guy since they had moved there. Now, since my dad was active duty military, and especially in the Navy, he would, you know, leave for weeks or months at a time for underways or deployments, you know, whatever the Navy was doing at the time. And my mom had gotten to know the guy across the street pretty well. Now, my dad knew him in passing, but didn't really know him that well. But they still were at least cordial with each other. One night, my dad woke up in the middle of the night and decided, you know, he was going to go have a cigarette before he went back to bed. I think he said it was about 1.30 in the morning. Uh, so he goes outside the front door. And he looks, he's standing outside smoking, and he notices that there are no lights, there are, there's no noise, there's no people talking, there's nothing. Which, in San Diego, for it to be completely quiet, is that never happens. It's never going to happen, it has never happened, not since San Diego was just a line of palm trees at the beach. It is nonstop all the time. Anybody who's been out there or lived in any major city can tell you that it never gets so quiet that you can't hear anything. So my dad thought that that was weird, and actually, you know, that woke him up and snapped him out of his, you know, half-sleep stoop. So my dad's looking around, and he notices that there's one street light on, and it's the street light across the uh, street at the old man's house. And now my dad, you know, the way he explained it to me was basically he saw the one street light on and thought, huh, that's weird. Smoked his cigarette. Since there was no lights or noise or anything, he looked up at the, you know, up at the sky and was admiring the stars. Put his cigarette out. Didn't really think anything of it. Went back to bed. Uh, now, my dad had to be up and out of the house about four in the morning to get to base on time to get changed into uniform and start work. And so, you know, my dad gets up later that morning after he you know, get it going back to sleep. He goes to work. And then my dad gets home that evening. And again, this was back in the early 90s before, you know, everybody was carrying a cell phone or anything. So my dad gets back that evening to the house and my mom is crying. And my dad says, you know what? What's going on? What What's happening? And my mom, you know, explains to him that the old man across the street died last night to sleep. 
and my dad asks how, and my mom says that she could know the only information that she can get from the paramedics is that he died at about 1.30. And at that point, my dad starts thinking about, you know, when he woke up in the middle of the night. So he said there was one thing that did stand out that he remembered, that it didn't really register at the time, and that was that, you know, again, there's no lights, there's no noise, which again in San Diego is extremely bizarre. But my dad said that right before he finished his cigarette, he remembered that the street light, uh, the only one that was on, that was on the old man's house, that cast light on the old man's front door, he said that was, you know, he thought about it and he realized that right before he was finished smoking, it started flickering and then went out. So my dad, you know, put his cigarette out and went inside and thought it was weird, but again, you're half asleep, you're not really thinking all that well. Both me and my dad are extremely heavy sleepers, so it takes us a good 10, 15 minutes after we wake up to become fully coherent. So I fully understand that, you know, something weird like this would happen, it wouldn't register with my dad. But to this day, my dad believes that he really did watch the old man's, for lack of a better term, life flicker, you know, flicker out that night with the streetlight. And so that's basically it. I tried to get more information from my dad, but again, this was back in like 90 or 91. So my dad didn't really remember much detail. Uh, Keep up the good work. Really enjoying the show, and I hope to, you know, keep listening to it in the future. Makes my uh, my midnight drives a lot easier to handle. Keep it up. Thank you, Stuart. Now, this call actually takes me back to another terrifying love-hate relationship from my childhood. I'm talking about the Fox series sightings. I specifically remember in one segment, and I know I've talked about it before, but there was a man that claimed to be able to manipulate street lamps. He can make them come on and go off at will. Of course, they took him out there, and he wasn't able to do it, replicate it whatsoever. But I remember the segment, so anytime I hear a story that's uh, even remotely mentioned street lamps, that's one of the first thoughts that always pops in my head. And I always wonder, did that guy really believe he could do this, or was he just simply trying to get on television. As far as the actual phenomenon that took place in the call is concerned, uh, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, sometimes things just happen in mysterious ways. My initial thought was that perhaps there was some sort of power outage and he was on a different grid. I know my neighbor, a house that's less than 20 feet away from me, is on a completely different grid. So when my power goes out, his stays on and vice versa. Other than that... Maybe the old man just had a little light left in him. Now our next story of the evening comes to us from Rich in the state of Illinois. Hey Derek, my name's Rich. Uh, I just listened to uh, Season 5, Episode 8, and Albert from Southern Illinois was talking about uh, big cats in the area. I actually have grown up in Southern Illinois all my life, and uh, my grandparents own a lake house down there uh, across from the Shawnee National Forest Preserve. Uh, and we have uh, cattle farms that are across the street, and uh, the, the, the cattle farm's son 
was actually out back checking on uh, on a new baby calf that was just born and stumbled upon uh, a panther or a mountain lion uh, about to pounce on him. And so he never travels out there without a gun anymore. And uh, so people have been wondering if there's big cats in Illinois, and I do believe them because uh, we've been seeing them. Uh, thank you and have a great day. Thank you, Rich. Now, the other day when my computer issue started, I knew I had to release his show, but I had nothing in the can. So I pulled out an old Patreon episode. If you haven't listened to it, I highly encourage you to do so. In that episode, I interview my brother Trevor about our experience seeing the alien big cat when we were children. Whatever these things are, it's quite obvious there seems to be something out there that people are seeing. Uh, whether they're mistaking a natural animal, a domestic animal perhaps, or there's just simply something there that remains to be detected. I love the mystery, and it's obviously one of my favorite cryptids. So thank you again, Rich, for sharing your story. I have a couple more calls to share with you guys this evening, but before I do, just have a handful of quick announcements here. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget about that Facebook group. Additionally, you can find more content on Patreon.com. I actually have a new episode coming out as soon as this new computer arrives. And if you're playing the drinking game where you drink every time I mention the word computer, drink up. And lastly, there's still some shirts left. The -the glow-in-the-dark shirts went like crazy. Uh, They're actually not even here yet, and I've already sold half of them. They show up later today, according to the tracking information. So I will get those things out uh, sometime on Friday. And I should also mention that I'm working on several other uh, items to put in the shop. I know there's a mug coming, there's different stickers coming, I even have a pennant that I'm working on. So uh, stay tuned. If there's something you guys want in the shop, by all means, send us a message and uh, let us know, and we'll try to get it in there for you. And on that note, our next story of the evening takes us to a good old summer camp. The following is Alice's Call from New England. Hi there, Monsters Among Us fam and Derek. My name is Alice, and I am calling about uh, an encounter I still don't know quite what to make of from, let's see, six years ago. I will add that I am going to be a little generic with names. Alice is not my real name. And uh, location, as it involves um, a place that still exists and is still functioning, and um, I don't want to harm that area in any way. But anyway... This takes place in the woods of New England on a lake um, at a summer camp that I grew up going to, my parents were connected to, ended up working at for a long bit of time. This was the summer of 2013. And during um, Labor Day weekend, some of the summer staff are given the opportunity to stay a little bit longer if they don't have any um, fall job plans lined up or they don't have any immediate responsibilities and help the camp run an alumni event. So, you know, parents can come with their kids and do a lot of campy activities right before the end of summer. So when that happens, the the assistant staff are kind of housed in random spots all over the camp. 
And I decided this year, I, I had just graduated from college, still trying to figure out what my next step in life was going to be. And I had time to kill, so I figured, why not? Let me, let's stay. So some other um, staff friends decided to stay too. And we were put up in this old building that used to be part of a farm that was renovated for the horse program teachers to stay during the summer. It's the very border of the camp's entrance. And you have to walk like a mile from there back into camp. So it was a bit of a hike. But um, we were staying up there one evening. And I remember waking up out of a dead sleep. It was, I passed out. And then all of a sudden, I find myself don't wake daddying up out of bed. You know, that board game where if you hit a button, the thing would spring right up into a 90 degree angle. I've never done anything like that before. I'm a pretty solid sleeper. No sleep paralysis, history, no fitful dreams or anything. And I wake up out of bed, um, and I should add a little context. The way that this um, building was was lined up, it was uh, basically a very large rectangle, and there were four beds um, lined up parallel against the wall, and I was in the bed uh, by a huge picture window closest to the entryway where there was a bunch of cars parked. And I shoot up out of bed, and all of a sudden find my head turning to the left towards my um, best friend, Cora, she was sleeping in the bed next to me. And I look over, and I see this figure, tall, thin, it was a shadow, uh, wearing what appeared to be a baseball cap, also dark in shadow, darker than the room among us, around us, and sitting with his, for whatever reason, it was very clear to me that it was a man, with his legs crossed one over the other, like much like a woman typically does, kind of jangling his foot, just sitting there. And I was too, I was, it was like a, I don't want to say trance because that implies that I didn't have any control, but I was too out of it to, to, to know what was going on enough to be afraid. So I just kind of said very sleepily, Cora, who is that man? And I was in a cabin full of women and in the middle of the night in the woods, when you say that, it, it taps into some sort of primal fear and everybody woke up. Nobody else was seeing what I was seeing. Cora was like, what man? Who, what are you? I said, at the foot of your bed, the man. And she, she replied, Alice, I don't, I don't see anything. What are you talking about? And I could still see this figure, which I can picture in my mind, and it freaks me out to this day. And I was like, "Move, Cora, move your legs to try and see if I could get whatever this entity was to move. And so she, um, her, her legs were in a sleeping bag, and so she kicks to her left, which unfortunately was not where the shadow creature was sitting. And then um, I said, Cora, you missed it <laughs> the other way. And I'm communicating with a lot more urgency now because I was terrified that in the moment it was all very sleepy and hazy. And I said, to the right, to the right, and she obliged. And um, her legs went through what I was seeing and the figure evaporated. And I don't, I must have fallen back asleep because the next thing I remember I'm waking up. I didn't dream it um, because my, my friends in the cabin and at camp, because I was telling the story the next morning at breakfast a little freaked out um still give me um sass about it to this day but yeah it was it was it was something i can recall very clearly and i never felt super comfortable being alone in that cabin again um, and i should add that it is a religious camp and as a woman of faith myself who grew up with a, it's a bit more liberal now but a very strong faith i've always believed in the concept of 
supernatural warfare. And I, well, I couldn't tell you with certainty whether I believe in ghosts or what have you. I do believe in evil, and there are other stories which now could be, you know, the urban legends that surround any long-running summer camp about different spooky things happening and at a religious camp that's really popular and does really wonderful things for kids it doesn't surprise me that uh, evil forces would be concerned and trying their best to i don't know thwart and cause mischief um that happens very rarely i'm not i'm not implying that this camp is overrun with demons or anything but um that is my tale. Derek, thank you so much for this podcast. It's um, a really great listen, and um, so glad I had an opportunity to spin my spooky yarn. I hope you all enjoy it. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you, Alice. Now, unfortunately, as a child, I was never able to attend summer camp. I know I did a couple days for an outdoor education program through uh, our local school, but that wasn't quite the same thing. As someone that grew up in the 80s, I quickly became a fan of movies like Friday the 13th and its plethora of sequels. So the idea of a creepy, ghostly encounter at a summer camp really speaks to me. I should note that I really enjoy the fact that Alice coerced her friend to uh, basically wave her foot through a full-body apparition. I wish I could have seen that. Thank you again, Alice, for taking the time to share your story. And that brings us to this call from Alexis in the state of Florida. Hi, Derek. Um, My name's Alexis. Um, so this story, well, I have a couple stories. They're actually not mine. Um, they come from my dad, and there were some experiences of his friends. After hearing Season 7, Episode 14, about the pterodactyl, quote-unquote, sighting, um, I immediately remembered the story that my dad told me when I was younger, and I called him earlier today to confirm the details. So uh, the first part of the story, um, my dad is from uh, Pennsylvania in a small town outside of Pittsburgh, and he had a friend that told him that he was walking home at night and it was rainy. And I don't have a lot of details about what he saw, but he looked on the roof of the, a building and there was a, he said, a pterodactyl sitting with his wings curled up and looking right at him as he walked by. And he said that he was terrified and he kept he walked a little bit faster and and the pterodactyl continued to watch him as he walked. So my dad also had another friend that um, didn't know this first friend that told him the story about the pterodactyl, but he said, told my dad that he was hunting um, in an area really close to where this first sighting was, um, in the little patch of woods there. And it was, uh, like, before the sun came up, he was sitting under a tree, kind of waiting, you know, for something to come by. And... He heard, like, a screech come from the tree that he was sitting underneath from the top. And he said it was so powerful and loud that his first thought was not anything natural, like not a bird or anything that 
you know, that's natural at all. So when my dad heard that, of course, he connected the two stories and he thought there's something going on here. These two people that I don't even know have similar encounters in the same area of, you know, Pennsylvania, where he's from. So I thought that was really crazy. This was this was probably back in the 70s or something, 60s, when my dad was younger. Um, so the second part of the story is similar, not quite the same, but it has to do with a winged creature also. Also comes from my dad. Um, he had a group of friends when he first moved down to Florida, which is where I live now. And he had a friend that told him a story. And when uh, they got together with another, their whole group of friends, they retold the same exact story with the same details in, in a group because they, they had all been there when it happened. So they were walking around at night in this small town in southern Florida, probably like pretty rural area. And they came across a school with a playground in the back. So they were messing around. And I, uh, my dad said that they they had mentioned there was a, like a floodlight back there so they could see pretty well. And in the corner of this playground, they spotted this humanoid creature. He, he described it as like a kind of like a bat person that had like dark scaly-ish skin and wings under its arms. And that's kind of all the details that I have. But, but my dad said that, that his friends had all described it in exactly the same way because they had all been there. I guess they had been, like, outdoors, outdoorsy type people, and they weren't scared of anything. You know, they faced alligators and snakes down here in Florida and such, so they approached this thing because they weren't really scared. They all kind of surrounded it, and it looked terrified, they said. It was trying to get away from them but it was trapped in a corner. So it began like flapping its wings. That's what they said, that it had some, some sort of wings under its arms. And it tried to fly away, but it was getting overwhelmed because they were kind of surrounding it. And it was breathing really heavily. And then, and then he said that it shot straight up in the air and made like a 45 degree angle turn and, and flew right away from them. And, and the way my dad described it, like, they were all so excited describing the story and they all had the same details. So it's pretty hard to imagine they were lying. He was very convinced by them. And I just think it's pretty crazy. So yeah, I don't know what that could have been at all. Sort of similar to the pterodactyl story because they both are like winged cryptids, I guess. These, these stories reminded me a lot of the pterodactyl theme that was coming up. And I hope that somebody maybe can recognize this, these stories or something similar and they can maybe add, like continue and add on to it. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Alexis. Now, as I probably mentioned a few times, my dad is a listener. Hi, Dad. I was talking with my dad on the phone uh, just after playing a pterodactyl sighting call on a recent episode, and that's when he informed me that when he was a child, he saw something he described as a pterodactyl. Now, according to him, they were walking from town to his home, which is about a half a mile's walk from the tiny village we grew up in. As he was walking overhead, he saw what he described as a large, hairless, bird-type creature with the crest on the back of its head and the angled wings, somewhat like a bat. Now, if I recall the story correctly, he quickly told his brothers, who were walking with him, who obviously didn't see it, and they instantly began ripping on him. Perhaps that sort of treatment is the reason that it took him almost 40 years to tell me about that story. 
Now, do I believe that there are pterosaurs and pterodactyls flying around the modern United States? Not really. I can't really swallow that pill. But there have been a lot of sightings of things that can only be described as pterosaurs or pterodactyls. Stories like this one. A man in northern Oregon says he saw a big bird that sounded like a dinosaur. The man, who provided a full name but asked to remain anonymous, told Cryptozoology News on Tuesday that he works as a campus security guard. He says he was taking out the trash at approximately 1.30 a.m. when the creature showed up. It flew from behind a house across the street and glided back to the ground. I was caught off guard by its size and screeching sound, said the Philomath resident. It sounded like an old movie's dinosaur. He described the creature as a flying being, with the wingspan of about three-fifths to four-fifths of the length of the house's roof. The wings, he said, were bent, and its head had a short and curved beak. The security guard adds that he was able to see the animal in the dark because of the light from a nearby mill. And that clip comes to us from Cryptozoology News. I highly recommend you guys hit that up every morning for your daily Cryptozoology News update. Now, as if the mention of the pterosaurs slash pterodactyl slash flying reptiles or whatever you want to call these things. Alexis also mentioned what kind of sounds to me like the Mothman. Now, she described a upright bipedal creature with some sort of scales or feathers or something on its skin. A dark brown or gray color and wings under its arms. That's three quarters of a Mothman description. Now what gives me pause is the fact that there was no mention of bright red eyes or the lack of a neck or strangely shaped head. Outside of that, a lot of the description here sounds very consistent with what I've heard from Mothman reports throughout the country. Now speaking of Mothman, I just found out yesterday that I actually am going to be attending the Mothman Festival this year, but only for a day. I will be there for a majority of the day on Saturday. I won't have a booth or anything like that. I'll just be walking around messing with people. So if you see me walking around, be sure to say hi. And that's going to do it for this episode, but before I kick out of here, if you have a story you'd like to report, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or click on the Report Your Sightings tab on the website, which is monstersamonguspodcast.com. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Ponabbitt, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that music you're hearing? That's Coag music. Thank you all for listening. And until next week.
given my recent computer issues. Drink. I decided I'm going to play a call, rather than read a written submission. So tonight's bonus content is brought to you by Brandon. Hey, uh, this is Brandon. I'm from Zebulon, North Carolina. This happened like about two years. I came in one day into class and uh, I sat down. And my friend beside me, he's like, dude, guess what? Uh, we we went to the park, right? And uh, we found this old graveyard like from the 1900s. And we were like, for real? And I was like, for real? And I was like, why don't we just go like at night? And he's like, nah. He's like, nah, I don't I really want to do that. I was like, dude, let's go, like, around, like, 3 o'clock. That's where I hear is, like, when all the ghosts come out and stuff like that. So we decided to go one day. So we went, and we got there. Only three of us went inside because the rest were kind of scared. <laughs> we started going through this trail in the back of the park. I decided to record just in case we, like, saw something. So we started walking, and we would hear, like, a bunch of noises, which obviously is the woods, so we probably thought it was, like, some squirrels or some other animals. And there was this noise that was louder than the rest. I don't know how it was, but it was really loud. And when that happened, um, the one of my friends from, which was she was in the car, she called back and she was like, "What was that noise?" And we were like, "I don't, we don't, I don't know. We just heard a loud noise." She was like, "Really? It sounded like a car from over here." I was like, "It didn't sound like a car from from where we were." And literally, as soon as like she called, since the recording stopped, we saw this. Uh, apparition it was this lady and she was dressed like in all white and we could see her hair go down and she was wearing this white dress and we had her flashlights and we were pointing at her this was kind of weird because I felt like we were there for like about five minutes looking at her but I know it was only for a few seconds and she's like well, what, what are you guys watching what are you what are you all seeing and we were like this is this lady right here in front of us we, we didn't feel nothing I didn't feel like like, I didn't feel scared or nothing. It was just, like, calm, and I could just see her, but it was really weird. And my friends, they were, like, kind of, like, I don't know, I kept calling, and I was like, dude, are you okay? I was like, dude. And they wouldn't respond until I shook one of them. I was like, dude, what was that? He's like, dude, I don't, I, I don't know. And he's like, I was like, what What should we do? And he's, one of my friends in the front was like, and he just started running, and I was like, let's just start running, too. And we started running, and like, so we got to the car, and they're like, what did y'all see? We were like, this lady in white. And she's like, that's all? And we're like, yeah. So we went back to my house that uh, that night. And me and my friend were like, what was that? And he's like, I don't know, dude. It's, it's a lady. <laughs> and we were decided to come back in the morning because we thought it might have been something else, right? Like, I don't know, because they hunt a lot over there. So maybe it was like a reflection of something. And we went, and there was literally nothing there. It was like nothing that can make something like, like that. She was like bright, and her hair was long, black. She was wearing, like, this dress. But there was nothing there that could, like, you know, that could resemble that. Uh, thank you. And I love your podcast. Thank you, Brandon. A little word of caution. Be careful sneaking around in cemeteries at night. Without the proper permission, you can spend the night in jail. I, too, have spent a good amount of time sneaking around cemeteries at night. Not to uh, vandalize or graffiti anything. Just simply looking for scary stuff. I can tell you the cemetery at night has its own bag of tricks. When you walk by tombstones, they echo your footsteps. 
and a shining light on some polished stones. I swear it's moving. But in all my outings, visiting cemeteries all over the state of Ohio, I never once saw an apparition. And although you may not feel lucky, I definitely consider you to be very lucky to see such a sight. Thank you again, Brandon, for sharing your call. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night.